Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey Jody, how are you doing? Hello Paul, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Today's topic is real estate investing. How to jump into this type of investing, eyes wide open. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this week. So Jody, the first article that we've selected is from the Stanford Advocate. It's a relatively local paper to us, but I'm sure this is one of those stories they kind of run different parts of the country. Um, It talks about uh, effectively assessing property value if you're going to make an investment into real estate. And my takeaway from the article was that there's a lot of technical approaches um, to figuring out whether you're paying the right price for investing uh, for an investment property. And um, for me, I think it comes down to a mix of the numbers do tell the story, but you also have to kind of have that guttural approach to, to real estate investing. Um, even if the numbers look great, if you're, uh, the property's located in a uh, neighborhood not so nice, uh, it might be challenging to collect rents and to be a landlord in that area. So I think you have to also add to your uh, technical analysis of the financials, um, your your personality and everything else that goes with it. Jody, what was your takeaway from this article? Yeah, I don't think there's any real mystery here to um, what this article is trying to say, which is basically do your homework before you get involved in buying a property. Um, and what I took away from it was whether you're buying a property to invest in as uh, – as an, uh, an income vehicle or to invest or to buy it just to, to live in and have it be your primary home, you know, do, do your homework, make sure that you understand what you're getting into, um, what the property is valued at. Don't overpay for something. I think that's the key, especially for an, if you're going to be investing, you know, don't overpay for something. You'll be, you won't be able to get as much money out of it if you overpay for it and then try to either sell it or, um, or rent it. Um, so, so I think it's, it's all about doing your homework and, and considering the value of the property before you, before you buy it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. A lot of good points there. Um, we'll jump to our next story, which was in Forbes and the title is real estate investing partnerships, a necessary train wreck. This one's an interesting one. I could see how this could easily wreck relationships, um, business partnerships or, or friendly partnerships. I, I think What I took away from the article was kind of some rules of engagement when you're starting to look at maybe partnering up on a real estate deal, um, sticking to a single transaction. There should be one person that's in charge, that's elected to be in charge and stays in charge, even if the partnership is 50-50. Clearly identify both the roles and responsibilities for each partner in the deal and have a have a conflict resolution system. This was very interesting. I didn't really think about this, but kind of having those out clauses, having a third party mediator to help. Um, so I think these were all good points. I think my gut tells me though that investing, any kind of investment, any kind of partnership could be very, very stressful, could be very, very tough. And there's always a risk of it not turning out so well. And your, relation, your relationship with those uh, partners um, could be, could be um, yeah, they could be damaged for good kind of thing. Jody, what's your take when it comes to this uh, article? Partnerships are challenging. Uh, you know, Paul, you and I even have a partnership here on this podcast. Um, 
and and there's no money involved. This is strictly just us getting together every weekend to to, uh, to do something that we enjoyed doing together. Um, but it takes work, right? And and we have to put work into actually uh, scripting the podcast every week to producing it, etc. Uh, and so it's important. And this article goes through it from a real estate perspective on defining that relationship, defining all the clauses in the relationship to make sure that it works. And also giving people the opportunity to walk away from it if they need to. And when you're talking about real estate investing or anything that involves money, um, defining those clauses up front, even more important because um, the best way to sink a relationship uh, is to involve money in it and then to have a dispute about it. So uh, I think that's what this is a really good article that talks specifically about real estate investing um, and, and, and use and money, but, uh, it, it's great advice for any kind of a relationship. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I think it all made sense to me when I read it. And I think it's a good lead in to, uh, our weekly topic, which is real estate investing this week. Um, I, I have to kind of put a disclaimer up front and I think Jody, we'd both agree. I don't own <laughs> any real estate in terms of investment. I have my home. Um, and, and I think that both of us are, are, are definitely, um, I don't even say I'm a beginner in real estate investing. I don't own any. So it's hard for me to kind of talk about this. I'm, I'm kind of talking about it through conversations with family and friends that I have. I'm living, you know, kind of vicariously living through their experience of owning real estate. So we hope that some of the things we talk about today, uh, and, and once I said, um, just a disclaimer, we're coming from a place where we don't have real estate investments other than our own home, which I don't consider to be an investment by any means. And I've talked about no. that on no. – it's not an investment. It's a, it's a defensive play. You need a roof over your head. You need a place for your kids. And if you make money at the end, that's great. But if not, it, it's really what the not the purpose of your personal home is. So uh, if, if anyone takes anything away from the podcast today, real estate, uh, your own personal – residence probably is not an investment and there's probably a whole host of reasons that we can go into as to why we think that way and uh, we've talked about that on other podcasts but that's for another podcast if you want us to do a full podcast on why we think your own personal home is not an investment vehicle we could do that <laughs> so um but today i think um i'll just jump into my current situation which i we just talked about right admittedly I'm, i've been too risk adverse to make a significant investment to any real estate. Um, and so we'll have to kind of uh, live vicariously through others that are close to me on this topic. Um, I have a dear friend who has several homes overseas that he owns and rents, always seems to have to uh, go back home to fix something or another, uh, but he seems to love it. I don't think he would change it. So he talks about the hassle of owning, I think it's three homes overseas. And uh, he makes trips there probably seven times a year could be more depending on what's going on uh, on various issues but he has a lot of friends back home I think he uses as a mechanism to go back home and 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 make those trips more frequently if he didn't have the real estate so um, but I think he also enjoys the um, owning his own properties and building his portfolio he's very hands-on does a lot of work himself sub subcontracts out very little of the repairs or renovations um, so for him um, he loves it um, and like I said before, my own home, it's a loser. Let's move on, right? <laughs> I'm not making any money off this home. I'd be lucky to get out of uh, this home for what I paid for, given the timing when we bought. But overall, if you factor in kind of the, my buy and sell of, of my previous condo, maybe we'd make a little money, but not that much. 
Um, my father, coincidentally enough, when I was a kid, uh, my father had a friend who did very well in real estate. Um, he was a barber uh, that uh, we used to go get our haircuts with. My father developed a really good relationship with him. And the guy was always trying to get my father to buy a piece of property. And he was, and that guy was a big believer in multifamily homes, uh, two, be- two family, three family, five family. The more families you could squeeze into a property, the better. That was his motto. And it was amazing to hear his adventures of being a real estate investor and landlord. Um, you know, one time he sat on somebody's porch until they sold him the house. Now, nowadays, I guess he'd probably be arrested pretty quickly, but um, <laughs> that technique worked for him. <laughs> I don't know how, but it was fun kind of going around. And I, I wish my dad had pulled the trigger on a three-family house. Oh, me. You know, it was a five-family house in my town. Great little area. Probably would have set my family up very nicely. Um, and uh, he did not do it. And it was interesting when I look back on it. Um, the other thing, and I guess like father, like son, um, we had an opportunity, me and my wife, before we, or we bought the house we're in now, to buy a five-family home uh, from all things the bus driver that used to drive us back and forth to the train station at our condominium. Really nice gentleman. His name was Jim. Him and his brother, they were getting on in age. They had a beautiful stucco stone five-family apartment. I guess you'd call it an apartment building at this point, parking underneath, and it was walking distance to the North White Plains train station. If anyone knows the area, um, great location. I think the rents would have always stayed pretty nice. And, And the goal was to maybe buy that before we started having kids, move in, stay there for, you know, three, four, five years. And then once the timing was right, uh, buy our own single family home and keep the five family home um, in perpetuity. Um, things didn't work out that way. I think I was just too risk adverse and, and um, didn't pull the trigger on such an investment. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, probably uh, would have been really, really great um, at least in my mind, I paint that picture, that rosy picture, that it would have been great. But um, once again, uh, disclaimer, not a real estate investor, but we're going to try to tackle this topic anyway for all of you out there. Jody, what's your current situation when it comes to real estate investing? Mine is similar, you know, that uh, we don't have any uh, real estate investments, uh, but for maybe some stuff that we, we, you know, we might own some mutual funds and things like that that involve real estate, but we don't own any property. We're not a landlord. We don't, we don't uh, buy houses and flip them. Um, you know, as romantic as that may look on uh, the cable channels, going in there and ripping down a wall and putting up paint, and it looks looks really easy when you watch it on TV. Um, it's it's I'm sure that it's hard work. I've done renovation in my own home. Um, it's always goes slower than you think. It, it's always more expensive than you think. Uh, and so that uh, that combined with a couple other reasons, uh, basically that uh, I don't have the inclination to do it, is why we haven't gone that route. But let's take a step back too and, and talk about sort of what we mean when we're talking about real estate investing. And there's really just a couple of different ways. There's the buy and hold. Buy and hold basically means you're going to be a landlord, right? You're going to buy a property and you're going to rent it out to somebody, um, whether that's a single family home, an apartment, a multifamily home that you talked about, Paul. Um, you know, the, the upside is great. You've got yourself a rental, uh, rental place and you're renting it out. And uh, obviously you should be doing the math to make more money uh, on the rental fees that you're charging than you are in the mortgage that you're paying out. 
downside is you got renters who come in and they trash the place and then you've got to spend the money to fix it up. Maybe you can assess them some damages or whatever, but um, at the end of the day, it's, it's your problem to fix that up to be able to continue to rent it. And you have to face reality that sometimes those properties are going to go vacant. They're going to sit vacant and you're still going to have to pay the mortgage. Um, and, and sometimes, um, you're, you're, uh, going to have to spend more money in fixing up the property than you expected to. So, plus you're going to have to put an awful lot of time into just managing that property, making sure that it's not getting beat up. Um, I'm fascinated by people who invest in real estate, actual real estate and rent it out far from their homes. Um, because then you, they probably have to hire a property manager or something like that. And then there's more expense, um, so, so that's, uh, you know, avenue number one is, is being a landlord. Avenue number two, uh, I guess, could be flipping, right? You buy and you flip. You go, you buy a place, you buy it as cheap as you can. You go in, you, you, you renovate it, um, and then you turn it around and you sell it. There's an awful lot of math involved and an awful lot of chance involved there, I think, because you're subject to the to the real estate market and, and what a particular property will sell for. Uh, and depending on your renovation schedule, you could buy at a particular time, whether it's worth X, and then by the time you renovate it and sell it, it's worth X plus five, or it's worth X minus 10. I mean, who knows, right? Um, so, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of chance involved, uh, and a lot of risk involved in the whole flipping model. Plus, again, you're dealing with your budgets, you're dealing with materials, you're dealing with uh, schedules and timelines of, of making sure that the thing gets renovated on time. You're either doing it yourself or you're hiring people who have skills that you don't. Um, so a lot to get involved with in house flipping, as wonderful and happy as it looks uh, on all the cable TV channels. And then there's just the one more, which is what we alluded to, which is, which is uh, real estate trading, right? Which is investing just like you would invest in any other um, uh, financial vehicle, like a mutual fund or a stock or whatever, you're investing your money in real estate related um, uh, vehicles, stocks, mortgage, uh, 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 mutual funds, uh, things like that, 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 uh, that are based on um, the real estate industry. So there, there's, your, there's your three basic ways that you can get involved in real estate investing. Oh, very cool. Thanks for pointing those all out, Jody. Um, a lot of the podcast today, we're going to be jumping around. Um, most of the time, we, we, we know exactly what we're talking about. But in this case, um, you know, we're going to have to jump around a little bit. Some of the things that came into my mind as you were speaking, Jody, um, don't you can't underestimate um, the downside. There are so many downsides, whether you're flipping, owning. Um, there's all kinds of things that could happen. So, you know, you always have to be prepared for the worst, for those vacancies. Don't think your property is going to be rented, you know, 12 months out of the year. And that leads into, um, I think the term cash is king when it comes to flipping or buying hold of real estate. You have to have enough money to weather storms, right? So if you're flipping a house, you have to have the cash on hand to, to deal with problems that are unforeseen. You may buy a house to flip and you think it's, uh, we're going to change walls around or we're going to renovate the kitchen. And then you find out you got horrendous mold or the house is sinking. Like <laughs> spin the wheel of pain and see where it lands. Um, you have to have the cash to weather those storms. And my case in point is look at 2008. Um, all those folks that held real estate. I had a friend that was an investor down in Florida. He got wiped out came back to New York with just his suitcases, literally. Um, 
he got wiped out down there in the real estate market in Florida, one of the hardest hit. Um, you know, and then that you were talking a little bit before about vacation homes and rentals. Um, that's that's a that is also very risky when you're not near the home um, and you're renting it to others. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I have a friend, and once again, we don't call people out, but I have a friend that owns um, a piece of property, vacation home. He had it rented out. The person who rented it from him got drunk, burned the place to the ground. Um, imagine the hassle that he had to go through to get the place back up and running. Uh, just horrible, right? So much more time than he probably expected, uh, you know, just dealing with rebuilding, right, what was left. So, you know, these are all things, and I know it's kind of scary, but I think this podcast is meant to scare you a little bit because you have to know yourself. You have to know whether you have the wherewithal, the heart, um, the mind, the body to be a real estate investor, uh, both mentally and physically, because a lot of real estate investing comes down to physical and mental abuse, if I want to call it that. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Jody? Yeah, I think you have to have, um, uh, what, do they, what do they call it in, uh, in, in uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, in, in that classic Alec Baldwin speech? You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass balls to sell real estate. There is major money on the line. Uh, and there's, especially when you're involved in being a landlord, um, there's, there's crazy personalities involved. There's every kind of scenario under the sun that you could imagine. Um, I've never been one, but I've worked with a lot of real estate developers. I've worked with a lot of construction companies. I've worked with a lot of, um, builders, um, and they are hard nosed people. They can be kind people, but they are hard nosed people and they are no BS people. Um, because they know how much money and they're dealing in, you know, budgets and, and uh, properties worth millions of dollars. But even if you've got, you know, a single family home or a multifamily home in a residential neighborhood, you know, you're talking about several hundred thousand of dollars on the line, you know, for an individual like you or me, Paul, that's a, that's the same as multi-million dollar properties for big real estate developers. Um, there is a ton on the line when you get into this. And I think you have to go in. Um, with a killer instinct to this, if you're going to do it, even if you're gonna, um, even if you're just gonna buy a house in a residential neighborhood and flip it and sell it, um, even that something as simple as that, where you're not you're not dealing with you know renters coming in, you're not dealing with uh, maybe maybe you have all the skills to do the contracting yourself too, right? You still have to deal with going over to that house uh, every weekend working on it or, or maybe taking time off from work or whatever and, and fixing it up, getting it in the condition where you can then turn around and sell it. Um, it takes a ton. I imagine I've got to imagine it takes a ton of work. Um, and it takes a lot of sleepless nights in making sure that it's going to come out the right way. And that's just for one transaction. Now imagine if you're going to do that, you know, in any kind of sustained way. Yeah, I, I have to agree with all of that you're saying. And some of the things that popped into my mind are around if, if you're investing in real estate, you, you have to have a return on investment of at least you know, 15, 20%. And people will say, wow, that's kind of outrageous. And, and really it isn't. If you think about it, you could take a million dollars, put it into a mutual fund. And on a, you know, when the economy is good, you're making 8%, right? 6%, 7%, 8% for doing nothing. 
for writing the check. You have to be compensated more for real estate investing because of your time and patience and everything that goes into it. So you have to make upwards of 15, 20% on the transaction. And, and that has to be inclusive of your rents, your rent vacancies. So there's gonna be times when there's nobody renting your house and you have to account for that. You have to account for those um, ongoing expenses, uh, cutting lawns, uh, snow maintenance if you're in the Northeast. Um, there's all kinds of things on a maintenance perspective, on a maintenance schedule that needs to take place. Typically, you have to heat the home, right? So you're paying for heat for your, for your tenants. Um, upkeep, um, all the sweat equity uh, that may be needed in terms of painting or you have to subcontract that out. And no matter how much you think um, it's going to be probably double the price, <laughs> at least 30% more uh, when you have to go out to get it done by somebody else. So I think it's, you know, one of these other things we talked about it in the before is do your analysis going with eyes wide open. Um, we talked a little bit about the different types of real estate. And there's two things I want to touch upon. And that's location, um, where to buy. And, and my rule of thumb, and some people will disagree with this, is you want to buy in a location where I think you would not be afraid to move your family into. And what I mean by that is I think there are some people out there that will buy real estate in an area that is a little bit shady or a little bit, you know, uh, dangerous. I'm going to use the word dangerous. Um, and that's going to lead to a whole host of problems long term, right? Um, in terms of uh, rents and renting and, and, and viability for rentals, etc. So for me, my rule of thumb would be stick to a location that you really like and stick to us. And more importantly, um, make sure that when you're buying the home, uh, look at the sizing in terms of do you want to be a single family home renter? Uh, do you want to be a you know or a landlord over a single family home, a multifamily home? All of them come with their own um, different things that could take place, right? So in a single family home, you might only have one or two toilets that break. In a multifamily home, spin the wheel, you might have seven different toilets, right? That break, eight different toilets, right? So um, be prepared to to handle those crises. You know those crises. What are your thoughts on that, Jody, in terms of the upkeep and location? Well, upkeep is upkeep, right? Something breaks, you got to fix it. You're the landlord, and they're going to be calling you in the middle of the night, and they're going to be calling you on weekends, and and you're you're married to your property, um, and that's the obligation you have. I think if you have renters, and I think this is get gets into ethics a little bit, but that's the obligation you have. If you have renters, um, and they call you up, and something isn't working right, you got to go fix it now. You know, that's that's uh, not talking about the problem tenants. You know, the ones who are constantly calling about you know tying their shoelaces. I'm talking about legit. Legit problems. The shower doesn't work. You know, there's no hot water or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, interesting, though, Paul, I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit to what you said about where to buy. Um, and always interesting how we have different perspectives on things. If I were going to be investing in real estate, um, and this is strictly the concept of being a landlord, um, I would invest in what I would call like high volume areas, um, downtowns or near train stations or um, near uh, public amenities or, you know, uh, work corridors, things like that. Um, because if you, if you, to me, in my mind, my biggest fear would be um, setting aside things break. Things are always going to break, so I'm not going to worry about that. Um, the, the one thing that I would want to control as much as possible is 
having my property rented as much as possible, right? Not having those those interim ones moving in, ones moving out, empty months kind of kind of deals, right? Or properties sitting vacant for any period of time. And so I would look for high volume areas where people are constantly wanting to move into that area. Um, I wouldn't invest, and this is just me personally, I wouldn't invest in sort of the bucolic neighborhood style kind of a place. I might flip a house in a place like that, but I would, if I were buying a multifamily, the multifamily I would buy in high volume areas because you want that constant flow of people who are always looking to move into a place like that. Um, and, and that just comes from my personality of wanting to control as much as possible. No, those all make sense. I think I'm on the same page with you. I might have not said it the way I was thinking it. I, I think the word that now comes to mind when I was talking about that before is buying in a safe area. Um, I would not want to buy in an unsafe neighborhood. I'd want to buy in a safe neighborhood. So I agree with you. Being close in proximity to trains and to public transportation, all those different pieces are key. That example that I cited before about that five-family home was in a great neighborhood close to the train station, walking distance to the train station. I think for me, um, when I talk about location, I, I think it's about safety, and I want to buy it in an area that is is safe. Um, and, and that's kind of what I was trying to, to convey. But I agree with all your points. You want to be in an area that is close to the amenities, close to transportation, and is attractive to people that are looking to rent your property. So I wouldn't disagree with that. So um, I guess we'll just uh, flip it to maybe going back to the topic of being a landlord. Uh, we talked about that a bit already, but I want to reemphasize that you really do have to know what you're doing when it comes to being a landlord. Um, I think people watch HGTV, they watch some of these other shows, and, and they only see the kind of 30-minute snippet of life when it comes to being a landlord. And I think there's a lot more to it. Are you telling me that renovating a house doesn't take takes more than thirty minutes, Paul? <laughs> Very really interesting. Yes, I think it does. Um, they, they do that time elapsed camera, right? Or I'll like give, when they I'll give you a great example. So my so our our bathroom shower broke last last weekend, right? Just all of a sudden, it's not working right. Um, and long story short, all I had to do it's one of those you know. Um, uh, diverter showers, right? So it's a single handle, right? And, and you, you adjust the temperature, right? It's not a, it's not a hot and a cold. It's a single handle in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, all I had to do was change the cartridge, right? Super simple job for anybody who's done a little bit of, just a little bit of plumbing. And that's basically just disassembling the handle, pulling out the cartridge, the, the thing that slides back, it's like a cylindrical kind of a thing in there and, um, replacing it and then putting it all back together. That took me two hours. <laughs> um, you know, renovations take a long time and you have to have the intestinal fortitude before you go into this to make sure that you are prepared to either do the work yourself, to have the skills to do the work yourself or um, to hire somebody to come in and do it for you. And then if you're going to hire somebody, have the budget to do that. Because as I pointed out to my wife, if I had hired a plumber to come in and do the work that I did, which is basically just changing out a cartridge in a shower, it would have cost me about $400. Yeah, I believe it. And, and you're right. I think that's key. And that all comes down to making sure that you have enough funds. I see too many people thinking that real estate is a quick win, whether it's flipping or buying, selling. There's all these, I remember Carlton Sheets, that was the big real estate 
flipping. And I used to read these things when I was a kid and watch these infomercials. And I actually am staring at my office. I have a book on my bookshelf called Flip um, that I bought for a friend of mine as well. And, um, you know, and, and like I said, I've always kind of lived vicariously through others when it came to real estate investing. And I have a bunch of friends that have really good success stories when it comes to real estate investing. Um, family members, friends, and, and it all kind of works. I just think for me, um, it came down to personal choice and risk tolerance, and you have to know oneself. Are you the landlord type? Are you the person that can be a partner with somebody and flip real estate? Are you handy with a paint roller and a hammer and a screwdriver? These are all things that before you go into any of this type of hands-on investing, you make sure you go with eyes wide open. Um, one thing we didn't touch upon that we'll touch upon a little bit now are um, investing into real estate without actually touching the real estate, right? And that's in the form of uh, mutual funds or REITs. Uh, a REIT is a corporation, trust, or association that invests directly in real estate through properties and mortgages, right? And they trade on the stock exchange and they're bought and sold like stocks. So for those of you that are not, you know, that are faint of heart, you could just go and, and buy these mutual funds and invest into the real estate. And Kind of I'll, I'll say if you if you have if you're a teacher and you have a pension you probably are invested in REITs right now whether you like whether you know it or not yeah, yeah. the lots of lots of uh, municipal employee pension systems uh, lots of teacher pension systems are already invested in REITs simply because of that because they are um, a relatively safe relatively um, high return type of an investment yeah, I would agree. Um, I think I own a few in my retirement portfolio, but not a lot. Because um, like I said, for me, um, I think that over time, a balanced portfolio is key. And maybe that's for another podcast, but I know we've talked about it in the past. But, you know, making sure you have the right mix of investments in your retirement plan, such as REITs, uh, equities, um, bonds, uh, all you know, there's all kinds of different ways you can invest in your retirement. But REITs could be a, a good solid cornerstone for safe investment. Um, but outside of my retirement, I don't hold any investment in real estate, whether it's in physical real estate or um, or, or stocks within or mutual funds within REITs. Um, I just have my home. And I think a lot of the things we talked about today are analogous to owning your own home. So if you own your home now, think about owning another home that you don't live in <laughs> that you still have to maintain. And have your eyes on and and now you have other people renting within right so i think there's a lot to think about when it comes to uh the investment game and how you're gonna um, deal with uh, these types of investments so uh, i used to work for uh used to do work for a very well-known new york city uh real estate developer um you'd you'd know him if i mentioned his name and he was fond of always saying or answering the question, when is a good time to invest in real estate? He would always say, right now. Um, his attitude was, um, get together with your friends, pool your money, buy something, slap a coat of paint on it, get some renters in there, fix the light bulbs, make sure the toilets work. Um, when they get tired of living there, they'll move out, find someone else to move in, take some of that money, improve the property, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and then either either improve it to the point where it's a gorgeous property and you hold it and you make lots of money and your margins are much higher or flip it, give it to somebody else and then turn that money into something else. Um, 
he he was a, a brilliant he's a brilliant businessman um and he was uh you'd understand uh, so bullish on real estate investing um and and really made it make sense and and he was a terrific person to work for um and so if you're interested in it i think you just got to as you said paul you know eyes wide open but but go for it if you want to go for it yeah i would say that and i would you said something key there uh, pull the money I think there's a lot of peace of mind in buying real estate all cash. So whether you're buying the property yourself and flipping it or you're doing it with friends and flipping it or renting it, um, I think going back to what I said earlier, I think cash is king. I think too many people go in with the thought of, well, I'll just remortgage my home and buy that piece of property. Uh, oh, that's what happens every day, Jody. I mean, that's happening, right? Oh, so, I know. Duh, I know. And, and I think that's the most dangerous. Maybe you know, maybe we'll kind of tie off the the podcast with this uh, note because I think it's the most important piece. Is you know, please do not mortgage or take out loans against your home to buy another rental property or to buy a would, rental property. That would be the same as mortgaging your home and buying stock or more or you know some kind of other thing you know don't don't mortgage your home to make an investment in something else i think that's a really bad idea yeah absolutely there's so much downside risk the upside is very little uh, when you're using loaned money that 15 percent gets eaten away very quickly with fees and interest rates and and all kinds of things right on the money you've borrowed so um i think that you know and maybe some no I won't even say that. I was going to say in some extreme cases. Nope, I'm not going to go there. I really do believe that you have to buy real estate in cash and you have to really know what you're doing to kind of give you that peace of mind because when you hit those bumps in the road, you have to have the money to weather the storm. You have to have these paid in cash real estate because if you're vacant for six months and you have this thing and you have a big mortgage against that property and you don't have the money to pay that because you were relying on tenants paying that, you're going to be in trouble. So um, if, if you take anything away from the podcast today, and I guess this is a good place to do the summary recap, um, be prepared for the good, the bad, and the ugly, and buy real estate with cash. Now, there are going to be a lot of people out there that will listen to this, that will dispute me, uh, that are doing quote-unquote very well by having real estate, big portfolio with a lot that's leveraged with a lot of debt on it, and I'd probably lose the argument. <laughs> I probably can't defend the position um, to the you know technically, but I know in my heart I could defend it, and I would not buy real estate if I you know for investing unless I could pay for it in cash. Jody, what's your summary recap for today? I think the main thing that I would take away from this is that you've got to know yourself before you get into this. This is like any other project, major you know, life commitment kind of a project. Um, before you get into this, you got to know yourself. Are you prepared to go all the way on this? Because you buy that property, there's only one way to get rid of it, and that's to sell it. Um, and, and so you've got, and you've got to be prepared for the financial ups and downs. You got to be prepared for the personal hardships. Um, you know, the toll that this could take on your, your marriage, your, your, your relationships with other people. If you're a partner, um, in this with other people, with friends, you know, it may sound really good over a beer, 
um, it, it gets ugly fast. So be prepared for the ugly for when it comes along. Uh, not saying you shouldn't do it, but be prepared for all those contingencies, all those possibilities that could crop up along the way, because most of them probably will. And uh, just just be ready to do it. I, I would love to do it. In fact, um, I think my biggest hesitation of why I've never done it is just because I I haven't been able to pull together enough cash to do it. I think the way I, I would want to do it, but I would love to do it. I think it would be um, I think it would be really rewarding. It would be really, really hard, but it'd be really rewarding. So maybe one of these days, you know, when when I'm uh, 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 in a better financial position, I think maybe, maybe I'll go in on this. But for today, we'll just talk about it. Very cool. Very cool. And for a bunch of dads, for a couple of dads who don't know anything about real estate investing, I think we did pretty good with the podcast. So um, covered a lot of topics. So Every think, single week. Every single week. That's true. Don't know much about any of this stuff. So I, I would agree. <laughs> we've never professed to be – we've never professed – we say this up front, Paul. We've never professed to be experts. This is just what we think, what we've done uh, the experience that we've had uh, and our perspective on this stuff, the whole idea is to just throw it out there, let people hear it, take it away, use it however they want to use it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Jody, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the financial dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.